glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Let's stand then, if you would please. Galatians chapter 1, beginning verse 11. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 13. For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceeding zealous, exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb, And called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem, to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia, and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter, and abode with him fifteen days. But other of the apostles saw I none, save James, the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not." Afterwards, I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith, which once he destroyed, and they glorified God in me. Then 14 years after, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And that because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But of these who seem to be somewhat, whosoever they were, it maketh no matter to me, God accepteth no man's person. For they who seemeth to be somewhat in conference, seem to be somewhat in conference, added nothing to me. But contrariwise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, for he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen, and they unto the circumcision. Only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. But when when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face, because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he withdrew himself, withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? Thank you. You may be seated. We'll pick up, God willing, uh, next time, uh, down here in verse uh, 15, 16, we may come back and visit some of these verses in between. Before that, 
and get into more detail at the end of this chapter as he begins to deal with the, with the problem at hand among the Galatian churches. But prior to this, he's giving a, as you study the book of Galatians, he gives all this history. Paul gives all this record of what he's done for all these years. One of the things it does for us in understanding our Bibles, you read in Acts 9, Paul gets saved. In Acts 11, you can read about how he and Barnabas ministered to the churches of Judea. It seems that he references that here, that they remembered the poor. Uh, They go on a missionary journey, Acts 13. Acts 15, they come back, Barnabas and Paul, after having been sent out uh, as Barnabas and Saul. They return as Paul and Barnabas. And it's after this, Acts 15, there's a great debate, and we'll reference some of that tonight in the message. There's a great debate over what is necessary to obtain salvation. Faith in Jesus Christ alone or faith in Jesus Christ coupled with obedience to the Mosaic Code? That was the question in Acts 15. Do we have to go back to Christians because it was the law of Moses that has led us to Christ, that's brought us to Christ, then is getting saved mean we go back and the evidence of salvation and part of keeping that salvation is to keep the Mosaic Law? That question got settled in Acts 15. I began to say one of the things we can see is between Acts 9 and Acts 15, you got some, what, 17 years in there. I read between Acts 9 and Acts 15, and I think, oh, Paul got saved Acts 9. Here, uh, within a couple, three years, he sent out as a missionary out of the church at Antioch. Maybe a couple years later, they're back. No, we're talking about 17 years between Acts 9 and Acts 15. That's a long time, 17 years. Uh, and the point would be um, that, that, that sometimes what we read in the Bible is a few chapters. It's very good to read all of our Bibles so we can have a proper understanding of what's taking place. And we know there's, a, there's at least that much time because Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas part ways. You remember that, or Acts, the end of Acts 15. And Paul goes out with Silas after that. And so this just helps us have some understanding. Acts being a book of history, read it in conjunction with Galatians and you'll get a better picture of how long it took for the Lord to prepare Paul and use him effectively as a missionary. Uh, and this is important. Many times we have a, we are going to serve God. This is all, this is all free and separate from the message. But we're going to serve God in ministry. Many times we have a very uh, short-sighted view of how easy it is to prepare to serve the Lord. Whereas you look at the Apostle Paul, we're talking about numbers of years before he is, he is being used effectively on the mission field. God prepared. I mean, he was preaching right away. Don't misunderstand me. But some of the record we have of, of the missionary journeys, there's a lot more time in there than meets the eye as you read the page. It's important to read all our Bibles. Having said all that, as we're in Galatians 2, you can hear Paul talking about, this is when God saved me, this is what was perceived. And over and over what he's demonstrating, if you listen closely, is I never changed my message. I never changed what I was preaching. When I first got saved, those who knew what I was before I got saved called what I was preaching the same faith that I once persecuted. Meaning, I didn't come up with some unique message of Paul, some message that allows people to, by grace, live in sin. I didn't come up with that. When I first got saved, they knew that the message I preached is the same message I previously persecuted. And then, some years later, I met with Peter and, and, uh, and, and met with him briefly, but I wasn't seeking approval of man. This came from God. But I wasn't afraid to be challenged or, or held accountable by men. That's what Galatians 2 is all about. He said, by revelation, we went up to make sure I had not run and was not running in vain. So I want to make sure that I was not doing the wrong thing, saying the wrong thing. So I went and was accountable for what I'm preaching. And when I, when I told the men in Jerusalem what I was preaching, they added nothing to me. 
They didn't say, no, Paul, you actually, you need to be preaching people that get saved. They must be circumcised as well or they're not saved. He said, they added nothing to me, meaning the gospel I was preaching was the same gospel Peter was preaching. And you see this theme throughout. What he is confirming is, hey, I'm not the one that's changed my message. This is what I was preaching when I came to Galatia. It's what you believed. What's going on is someone is changing the gospel on you. And it's important we understand that, that this still goes on today. There are those today who are preaching that, hey, what you believe in you got saved, there's a little more to it or whatever may be the case. And we need, we need preachers in our life who are devoted to the truth. Not devoted to building a movement, not devoting to say, see, that's one of my followers. You can typically identify a cult by some physical means. Almost always there'll be something that is unique to that movement that is seen in a physical way. Look, I want, for instance, I believe that the godliness that's on the inside should show up on the outside. But I believe I would be sorely disappointed if someone said, oh, yes, that's one of those folks from Bonner's Ferry Baptist Church because they always wear black and blue. You with me? That's a poor illustration, but... The fact of the matter is, sometimes what we want to do is have something that other men can see that mark you as one of my disciples. And what Paul had already confirmed, we preached last time, we don't need to be marked as a disciple of a man. Our lives should be evidentiary that we are disciples of Christ, meaning His holiness and His righteousness and His word should show up in how we live. And so then there's, there is a, there's, Paul is laying some groundwork here in Galatians for, hey, I, he said in the first part of chapter one, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. I personally believe he's referring to himself. I called you into the faith of Christ. God used me to call you to salvation through the preaching of the gospel and you're removed from me. I, I marvel at that. So now he's trying to reestablish some credibility and he brings up three things about his own life and ministry in order to reestablish credibility with these people. And for us, this is instructive. Again, it's, this is instructive for me. This is as a preacher of the gospel, what I need to be focused on. So if you're going to look to credential a preacher, what university does he need to have graduated from? We're not anti-education. I know of some men that preach that if you're educated, you're probably not being used of God. Well, that's nonsense. Some of the most, we have people in the Bible who are brilliant. <laughs> very, Paul was very educated and used his education to preach the gospel. But how many times did Paul reference his education as a reason why he should be listened to? Mm-mm. No, that's not what he's going to reference. He could have, but he didn't. Uh, and so let's, no, let's look number one. He mentions, and we've already gone through this, so I'll go through the first point pretty quickly. Number one, Paul had a testimony of personal conversion. You would think we need not say that. But there are some men out preaching something today who have no testimony of personal conversion to Christ. By that I mean no testimony of a time when they were born again, when they came to repentance and faith in Christ, they have a testimony of finishing uh, theological school. They have a testimony of being very biblically knowledgeable. They have a testimony of being religiously concerned. They have a testimony of a lot of things. But if you tried to pin them down on when were you born again, they couldn't tell you. Nor could you examine their life and be able to tell yourself. They might say, well, I've just always been a Christian or uh, I was brought up in a Christian home. It was interesting. I was communicating with a man. I'm not saying this man is lost, but I think it, was, it caught my attention communicating with a man 
he's somewhere else and he's seeking support for missions work. And I said, well, when, when, were, when did you become a Christian? And began to talk about, and he has, he has some, some pictures and videos of him ministering uh, the Word of God and different things. And he explained how missionaries came to where he was, and that's how his grandpa became a born-again Christian. But he never told me when he did. I'm not saying the man's lost. I would say, that's a little troublesome. There needs to be a testimony of personal conversion. Paul uses Galatians 1, 15 through 24 to confirm, I first believed what I'm preaching. <laughs> Before I preached it, I believed it. And so that's what he says here in Galatians chapter 1, verse 11. He says, but I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me. So when I came to you and I preached the message of hope and salvation, the gospel that I preached to you was of me is not after man. I didn't create this. I didn't craft this. God gave it to me. Then he goes on to say, for, ne- uh, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Meaning Christ dealt with me personally. Verse 13, for you have heard of my conversation in time past. In the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. I used to be anti-Christian. I used to oppose this belief in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. He says, verse 15, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace, meaning God invited Paul to be saved on the road to Damascus, did He not? God called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me that I might preach Him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Paul's call to salvation was quickly followed by a call to service. He mentioned some time of being alone with God and getting revelation from God. But the point is, the truth of the gospel was first believed in Paul's own life. You know what? One of the marks of a, of a false teacher is he is going to teach others to do what he himself is not. Jesus said that the Pharisees cause people, I'm going to have to paraphrase, you're causing people to lift burdens that you won't touch with your little finger. The Bible says of our Lord and Savior, he began first both to do and teach. Paul says, you know what? I'm preaching to you that you're justified by faith in Christ alone. That's how I'm justified. He's taking them back. I have a point where I was a sinner opposing Christ and Jesus, the living Son of God, Jesus Christ himself, Revealed to me, he's the way of salvation. He did it through preaching. He did it through direct confrontation on that road to Damascus. And what Paul is saying is, first and foremost, I have believed what I'm preaching. He had a personal conversion through the truth of the gospel. He references the transformation of his life all the way down through verse 24, 15 through 24, which we preached an entire message on that. He talks about how he had persecuted in times past. And it says this in verse 20. Now the things which I write unto you, behold... Before God I lie not, we're in chapter 1, verse 21. Afterwards I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed, and they glorified God in me. We, 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 we focused in on that verse 24 uh, last a couple weeks ago. Tonight I want you to focus in on the fact that he says... It was known. First of all, he was known as a persecutor. Now I said, I'm known as a preacher. What was he known to preach? The exact same faith that once he destroyed. Meaning he said, when I first got saved, people recognized my message as the same message of Stephen. I didn't add to it. I didn't take away from it. 
He's trying to verify, I have not modified my message to get a following. I'm preaching the same faith that once I was against. God brought me to repentance, and now I have had a personal conversion. You can see that in the transformation of my life and the testimony of my life, where at one point I was an an opponent to God. Now God is glorified in me because I came to the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he deals with this personal conversion. The proof of a preacher, every preacher needs first and foremost to have a testimony of personal salvation, of a time when they personally have come to faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior. May I say this tonight? If you've come to faith in Christ as your Savior, you know when that took place. You may not know the date. I didn't say that. But you know there was a point when you realized, I cannot be saved unless Jesus Christ saves me. You know what I'm talking about tonight. And if you don't have that, you don't have that, 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 that testimony that of being reproved of your sin and of the righteousness of Christ and of the judgment that's ensuing outside of His righteousness, then you need to be saved. Christ alone can save, and Paul knew. How do you think Paul said, Paul, when did you come to faith in Christ? Well, I'm not sure. I'm not really sure about that. I remember asking some folks that attended church years ago here. They both claimed to be good Christian people. They had a decent name in the community. And I was invited to their house for dinner. And I said, and I just, I was as innocent and harmless. I, I didn't think anything of it. They testified they were Christians. And when did you get saved? And they said, well, that's not really the way we think of it. Well, <laughs> it took me off guard. And so we, you know, we kind of believe it's something that, you're progressing in, and so they believed in works. So they couldn't clearly say, this is when God saved us. They could say, we, f- we have faith in Christ and are hopeful that we're saved. If you ask Paul, when did Christ save you? Do you think he could give you a clear answer? Well, he did multiple times in his life, if you hear his preaching. I was against Christ until the road of Damascus. And at that, he said, Lord, what would thou have me? Would you say his mind changed about who Christ was? Absolutely. Lord, what would thou have me to do? And he put his trust in Christ and God saved him. The point is he had a testimony of a personal conversion. You don't want an unconverted sinner teaching you how to serve God. But you know what the Judaizers were? They were lost. You know why? Because they were still trusting in their performance for God not in what Christ had done for them. They were st- that Paul will call it another gospel. When we trust what we do for God instead of what God has done for us in Christ, we are trusting in our own works of righteousness. Amen? And Paul said, not I. I came to faith in Christ. And so then he had a testimony of personal, con- personal conversion. Number two, not only does he bring up the issue of his own personal conversion, then he begins to deal with some practical consistency. He had come to faith in the righteousness of Jesus Christ as the Son of God on the Damascus Road. Then he says, chapter 2, verse 1, he mentions time. He says, then 14 years after, I went up again. So he says, I was in Judea. They had never seen my face. They just heard that the one that persecuted us in time past is now preaching the faith he wants to deliver. And they glorified God. I mean, look what God did. He changed a persecutor into a preacher. Fourteen years after, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. And I went up by revelation, meaning the Spirit of God led him to do this and directed him to go. He said, and communicated unto them 
that gospel. So I made it very clear. The gospel that I preached, I communicated to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. He said, I had a private meeting with the with the pillars of the faith, with the men of reputation in Jerusalem, the elders, I believe they're called in Acts 15. Uh, he said, I had a private meeting to make sure that I was not off course, that I wasn't out here wasting my breath preaching something that wasn't true. May I say this? When you find a true man of God, you know what his utmost concern is? I want to make sure that my message is God's word, not my own. That's, that's what you're hearing from Paul. He said, I went up and was willing to let some men of reputation hear what I was preaching and tell me if I was right or wrong. I went to them privately. I wasn't going to make a big deal of this, but I told them, this is what I've been preaching among the Gentiles. I wonder why Paul felt the need to do that. Read 2 Corinthians and you'll figure out why. There were those accusing Paul of preaching a message of grace that gave license to sin. You read the book of Romans, you can hear that. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid I'm not teaching that the gospel liberates you to sin. I'm teaching that it liberates you from bondage to sin. The law binds you to sin. Christ frees you from sin. And so Paul had gone to these and what we find is that in 14 years, guess what Paul was doing? Still preaching the same thing. For now, longer than that, 17 years, because it's three years after his conversion in verse 18, he'd gone to see Peter 14 years later. So 17 years, he had been preaching the same thing. Now, I believe this. There is credibility established over time. It is problematic if a preacher is every 10 years modifying what he preaches as the gospel in order to get a crowd in the door, that's problematic. And Paul brings up the subject of time, I believe on two occasions, three years after I went to see Peter, 14 years later I went, I told them what I was preaching, and it's the same thing he had been preaching, lest I had run or was running in vain. And so then we find he mentions time. He's, he's trying to point out, my message is consistent because it's the same. Now, you can preach the same lie for 17 years. Don't misunderstand. So it's not the only thing he's going to bring up, but he had not modified his message in 17 years of preaching. Then he goes on. He said, um, he brings not only up time, but this, the issue of some trouble. He said, I went up by revelation, verse 2, and communicated un, unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest that by any, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised, and that because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. He said, I was preaching a gospel that did not include having to get circumcised to get saved. It wasn't what Jesus has done plus what we do. That's not what I was preaching. I was preaching what Christ has done for us, and yet we came to Jerusalem and there was some pressure put on Titus to get circumcised. Now, Let's not think so much about that procedure or all that. It's what it symbolizes. There's a whole group of people called the circumcision because they were identified by that ritual that God gave to Abraham after God made a covenant with Abraham. The token of God's covenant, Abraham's covenant, was circumcision of Abraham and his children, his boys. And so then what these people are saying is, if you're a Gentile uncircumcised, you can't be righteous in the sight of God until you accept the token of your conformity to the law of God. 
that circumcision was more than just something in the flesh. It was a token of our loyalty is to Mosaic law. That's what it was. It was a token of that. You know what? We believe this today. Uh, we, we want to see people get baptized who've been believers, but it's dangerous when you start teaching that baptism is necessary for salvation. Why? Because what you're saying is an act of the flesh makes you righteous. No. It's faith in Jesus Christ that makes you righteous. And so Paul says, we had some trouble. We had people that came in privily to spy out our liberty, meaning Paul said, I was preaching to the Gentiles, once you come to personal faith in Jesus Christ, you're justified. Read Romans. You're justified by faith. That's the gospel I preach. What these guys were doing, you can read it in Acts chapter 15, is saying, no, you come to faith in Christ and you must keep the law. You must be circumcised. It would be apparent some were wanting to implement dietary law. You can read that in Colossians. They were wanting to implement, may I say this, the earliest perversions of the gospel were not by denying that virgin birth. It was not by denying those things. It was saying you're saved by faith in Christ plus your performance. When we add works to the gospel, it becomes a different gospel. It's different. And Paul said, I was preaching the same gospel, and then there were some people that came in unaware. They were brought in, and they came in for this very sole purpose, to spy out our liberty, meaning... Titus had liberty not to get circumcised if he didn't want to. He's just as saved without circumcision as with it. He said, they came in to spy that out. He said, but Titus, he, he wasn't compelled, even though they put pressure on him to do that, he wasn't compelled to, meaning he was so confident in the gospel he heard, and I was confident enough that the gospel I was preaching is the gospel of God, that there wasn't a need to change to satisfy those people who came in to spy out our liberty in Christ. You understand, men love controlling other men. <laughs> truth wicked men especially love to control other men for their own wicked purposes and what paul is saying is in the face of trouble we didn't change our behavior to satisfy those who are accusing us of preaching something false we wanted number one to make sure we weren't preaching something false so there were some people who have a reputation for being longing to the lord and the elders in jerusalem and so we went there to make sure it hadn't run in vain but in the meanwhile, we had this private meeting, but there were some people brought in to spy us out to find out, ah, are they, are they lining up with what we want them to do? Are they going to accept this, this faith plus circumcision as a way of salvation? And he said, what he's pointing out is, in spite of that, Titus, who was a Greek, a Gentile, didn't change his conduct one bit. You know what the Galatians were starting to do? Under the pressure from these Judaizers, they're going back under the law. They're going back to having to circumcise and having to do these things and uh, to, to, to be righteous. And so Paul says, no, there was trouble. And then we see throughout this text Paul's transparency. Uh, before we do that, go, go to Acts chapter 15. I just want to read the context that he's referring to in Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. That's all we'll read uh, for now, and I'm not sure we'll read more of Acts 15. I encourage you to read it in your own time if you want to do a, a further study on this. Acts chapter 15, verse 1, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. That's pretty plain, isn't it? They didn't say, Except ye believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, ye cannot be saved, except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses. Meaning, they were teaching people who had already put their faith in Christ, you have to also be circumcised or you won't ultimately be saved. And verse 2, when therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas 
And certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenice and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles. And they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders. And they declared all things that God had done with them. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. I mean, it's necessary if they're going to be ultimately saved, they've got to become Jews. They've got, to, they've got to recognize Jewish law. And if you read the rest of Acts 15, the apostles and elders came together. Peter stood up and said, it's not true. I preached to Cornelius, a Gentile, and to those Gentiles in his house. And before we left the room, they were filled with the Holy Spirit just like us. Uncircumcised, unbaptized even. Acts chapter 10, you can read it. Meaning the moment they came to personal faith in Jesus Christ, they were given the Holy Spirit of God. They were recognized by God as being acceptable to God. And basically what Peter says is if they're acceptable to God, they should be acceptable to us. God saved them without circumcision, without keeping the law. They were saved simply by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, friends, that is the gospel. May I say this? That's the only way you'll ever have assurance of your salvation. The only way is that God promised me that upon my faith in Jesus Christ, he would count my faith in Christ as righteousness. That means the moment you came to faith in Christ, according to God, you were as righteous in his sight as his own son. That's the word of God. And when we start adding to that, well, that's true. But remember now, faith without works is dead. Yes, it is. We're talking about what man sees now, not what God sees. Amen? You read James 2. That's not talking about what God sees. It's talking about what man sees. Show me thy faith without thy works. I will show thee my faith by my works. You have many today preaching and teaching. Yes, 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 you're saved by faith in Christ. But if you're not doing X, Y, and Z, you're not really saved. May I say this on the authority of God's word. If you are truly and sincerely trusting Christ, you are saved because he doesn't lie. And he saves and he saves eternally. And you'll never get traction in your spiritual life, nor will anybody, until you know for sure God has saved you. And the only way to know that is that you're trusting not yourself, not your performance, not your Christianity, not your faith. You're trusting God's Son. That's righteousness. Amen? Amen. Now, why is this such a big deal? Because there were those coming into the Galatians saying, no, 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 it's not that simple. Yes, you've trusted God's Son, but you also have to remember, you know, God gave the law to Moses. Remember, he said, keep the Sabbath. You remember he said keep the feast. You remember he said not to eat pork. You remember he said this and this. And if you don't do that, you're not really saved. This had all been settled. There was some trouble. And Paul said in the face of that trouble, I still didn't change my message. Now I say the test of truth is what do you do under pressure from men? I believe X, Y, or Z until it's hard to hold to it. Even Peter and Barnabas, godly men, wilted under the pressure from these people to modify the gospel. I mean, I say this, there's pressure to do so, but the fact remains the gospel is what the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ and our faithful performance. Amen? We want to be faithful, but that's not what, well, that's not what saves us. So in Paul's consistencies dealing with in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, 
He deals with the time, the consistency in time. He'd preached the same message for 17 years. His consistency in the face of trouble. His consistency revealed through his transparency. He's not afraid to be examined by people who are in the faith before him to check his message to see if it was true. Meaning, I didn't get called by men, but I'm not afraid to be accountable to men. Amen? You remember what Paul said about the Bereans? They were more noble. Why? Because they searched the Scriptures daily. He wasn't afraid to have his message called into check by the Word of God and by other seasoned saints. And the test of Paul is seen here. He says when he went, go back to Galatians 2 if you would, when he went to Jerusalem, he says in verse 6, but of these who seem to be somewhat, and he puts in parentheses, whosoever they were, whatsoever they were, maketh no matter to me, God accepteth no man's person. You can see he's trying to shoot down. Don't listen to people because they have big reputation. They're men of reputation, but God's not, God doesn't work like man. He's, he's not a respecter of persons. Verse 6, for they who seem to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. Meaning they didn't say, your gospel's still lacking this, Paul. No, you're preaching the same gospel we are. Verse 7, but contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, these are not two separate messages, the same message to two separate people groups. The message, the gospel of the uncircumcision committed to Paul, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter. For he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, that's Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace was that uh, the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision. Only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. You can read about that in Acts 11 and 12 and then in Second Corinthians 8 and 9 and so forth. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face. Now we're coming to our third point. He's dealt with his, his personal conversion. That's, that is a point of credibility. I have first received the gospel I preach. Number two, Practical consistency, same message over a 17-year period of time. The same message in the face of opposition of spies trying to bring us back into bondage to the law. We didn't change. Uh, Practical consistency through transparency, a willingness to have his message examined. The test of those apostles and elders, and they said, you know what? Your message is absolutely the same message Peter's preaching. He'll preach the gospel to the Gentiles primarily, or to the Jews you to the Gentiles, and they gave them right hands of fellowship, said, brethren, you're on course. Your message is exactly what Jesus Christ gave us. Amen? You know what? That, that, what Paul is saying is, if you think that I came and deceived you somehow, that's not the truth. My, my credibility has been established through time and trouble and transparency and the test of other men who know the truth and have examined my message against the truth and have confirmed it's the same Message that Christ gave. And then thirdly, his, his, his third point of credibility, first, personal conversion, second, practical consistency, and thirdly, principled conviction. He says, verse 11, but when Peter was come to Antioch, this same man that had shook his hand and said, yes, this is right, the same man that had defended him there in Acts 15, when Peter's come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles, but... When they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. I mean, they were so adamant and so fervent and so heated over, you've got, you've got to believe the message we're preaching. They were putting pressure on Peter to, to act like what they were preaching was true. 
And it was not, it would be like this. Let me put it to you this way. There are those that believe you cannot be saved without water baptism. So you have people in nursing homes who will never get out of their, their, their sick bed, ever. It becomes physically impossible to baptize them. Someone says, oh no, what do we do? They'll not be saved unless they're baptized. And so what some have done is try to get them out of their sick bed into a pool of water. Others came up with something many years ago called clinical baptism, meaning we can't get them to the water, but we can get water to them and thus began pouring instead of baptizing. And you know where pouring came from? The belief you cannot be saved without baptism. Now, if you have a people that are adamant about that, we baptized 32 this week, 29 of them were at the old folks' home, meaning we're chalking up numbers to make us look good. And you're under that pressure to say, you know what? I count them as a brother without baptism. Now, are we for baptism? But can we say someone's a brother before they're baptized? Absolutely. But if you're around a church of Christ, you'll be pressured to change your mind. Because they teach you can't be saved without water baptism. Not only water baptism in the right mode, but in one of their churches. Then all of a sudden, there's pressure put on by the brethren to conform to something that's not true. Sometimes we need to take a stand by saying, I won't do that. So here's Peter, and what Paul says, he says, I perceived dissimulation with Peter. It got so bad that even Barnabas, who stood with me and contended against this, started giving in to it. And Peter, Paul says, but in that perceived dissimulation, when I saw that they dissimulated or they were, being, they were exercising a double standard, he said, I stood up and defended the truth. I had to say to Paul, Peter, Peter, you're wrong. So here's Peter eating with Gentiles as though they were brethren because he'd done that before. But when certain from James who believed he had to be circumcised, be saved, came along, Peter withdrew and wouldn't eat with them anymore. Meaning now he's treating them like they are because you've not become Jews yet and you're not recognizing our dietary laws yet and you're not circumcised yet. We don't count you saved until you keep our rituals. Yet they had, they had a clear profession of faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul said, when I saw Peter do that, I couldn't have it. <laughs> you know what? A test of a preacher of truth is a preference of truth over personality. You say, well, was Peter not, Peter not a true preacher? He was. This, is not, this was not the pattern of Peter's life. And thank God for men like Paul who called him into question. And Paul said, I withstood him to the face. Proverbs 27 says, open rebuke is better than secret love. Our culture does not believe that. We have a very politically correct culture that you're supposed to tell people you agree with them even if you don't. So that everything is nice and fuzzy and everybody feels good. Peter, Paul said, but I was more concerned about the truth of the gospel than whether or not Peter liked me at the end of the day. He wasn't trying to be unkind. I don't believe he was. But the point is, he comes over to Peter and says, what are you doing? Peter, this got settled back in Jerusalem. You remember that? We settled that these guys are as saved as anybody else. These uncircumcised Gentiles are just as saved as you circumcised Jews because you're not saved by the rights you keep or the, the, the way you, you keep the law. You're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. You, you, you remember that, Peter. So I withstood him to the face. That means in front of everybody, face to face. He says, brother, you're, you're just not right on this. Now, you know what that takes? That takes courage. How many know the kind of guy Peter was? Peter wasn't prone to step back and say, oh, <laughs> no. Peter knew how to st- speak up himself. But Paul said, I had, to, I had to contend for the faith. 
what was more important than what Peter thought of me or of what those Judaizers thought of Peter is what is being conveyed. If Peter was conveying that the message that you're saved by works is true, and that's not true. Uh, Paul would say in another, another passage of Scripture, we, can, we cannot do anything against the truth but for the truth. Tonight, our loyalty is to the truth of God's Word, and we should not conduct ourselves in a way that gives credibility to a false message. One of the reasons we have constructed the way a person can become part of Bonner's Ferry Baptist Church is that very reason. The reason we don't just say anybody that claims to be a Christian can be here, there needs to be a credible profession of faith in Jesus Christ, and that's enough. Amen? But the point is, we, we, we are not going to treat those who are preaching a false gospel like it's a true gospel. We're not going to, pre, we're not going to treat... Uh, this, this goes two ways. We're not going to treat someone who says, Oh, yes, I know I'm saved because my pastor, after I got baptized, gave me a certificate and said I'm saved. If we receive someone who thinks they were saved by their baptism into Bonner's Ferry Baptist Church into good fellowship, what are we saying? We're, we're affirming salvation is by baptism. So we say we won't do that because that misrepresents the gospel. We're not going to accept sprinkling as a proper mode of baptism. We know sprinkling doesn't save. Why? Because that's a misrepresentation of the gospel. Generally, people that believe that believe you're saved by work somehow. We're not going to accept certain things. Why? Because we don't love people? No, because we do love people. We must be loyal to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Salvation is by faith in Christ. And Paul said, you know what? You know why you need to hear me? Number one, I've been converted by the gospel I preach. Number two, I've consistently preached. And he's not pointing attention to himself. What he's pointing to is the gospel is what doesn't change. I've not changed my message because the truth is always the truth. And so then you see that that declared and that made known through his own conversion, through his consistency to that message and principled conviction of being loyal to that message. Why does he bring up, I withstood Peter to the face? Does he want people to think, wow, Paul, you're great, you're courageous, you're cool? No, he wants to hear what we're hearing right now. You cannot let the gospel be misrepresented. We can't, if so, we pervert the gospel. And so there was a perceived dissimulation, and then there was a passionate defense of the truth. Verse 14, but when I saw that they walked not uprightly, meaning he steered off course according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, if thou being a Jew livest after the manner of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? Why, if you don't believe that we're saved by keeping the law, why are you compelling them to do that as though they're lost? Your actions are misrepresenting the gospel. And tonight, as individuals and as a church, you know what? We need to have the same testimony. Number one, personal conversion, practical consistency, principled conviction. I said this is the proof of a preacher. And certainly in your mind you have the kind of preacher that's standing before you tonight behind a pulpit who's seeking to influence your spiritual life, and so you should. These are, these are the tests we need to see that I've personally believed when I'm preaching and that has changed, that has transformed me. I've been saved by the gospel. There needs to be consistency, not constantly changing the message with the whims of men. There needs to be a conviction and a willingness to stay and be loyal to the truth. By the way, Peter would demonstrate that. He got this right, didn't he? Not only did Paul stand for the truth, but Peter and Barnabas uh, did not continue to go along with this dissimulation. But you know, are we not all, at some degree, preachers? Not all pastors. Not all evangelists. But how many of us are wanting someone we know to hear the gospel believe and get saved? And you know what we need to be? 
we need to, number one, have a testimony of personal conversion. This is when I came to put my faith in Christ. This is what he's done saving me. I praise him for it. Number two, we need to be consistent and not modifying the gospel over time or under pressure. We need to be transparent and willing to have our, our beliefs examined by the word of God and others who've gone before us and so that the truth will vindicate that we have believed the truth. Number three, we need to have principal conviction. When we see the gospel being misrepresented, we need to stand up and defend the gospel. Amen? And may we learn from that. Number one, to know that's what you look for in a preacher, someone who's loyal to the truth, but know that's what we need to be as preachers of the gospel. Hope is helpful to you tonight. So that, you know what, we don't want to come along and get people going astray from the gospel. Our job is to be preachers of and convincers of the gospel. Mm-hmm.